Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good evening. Um, Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 19. I was reading today, just uh, actually just devotionally, and I came across this. And it, I don't know why I found it so jarring. Because uh, it never had, it never bothered me before. But it did. So I'm going to jar you with it, right? Psalm 19. Sorry, Proverbs. Proverbs 19. 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Now, that's a, it's not like when I say I was jarred by that, I don't mean, oh no, that's a bad thing. That's a great thing, isn't it? Fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. But do you see why that's a tough thing to read as a promise in the word of God? We look at Christian brothers and sisters who are touched by disease, by poverty, and certainly by persecution in the millions. And we look at a simple promise in God's word and we have to decide a couple of things. Or maybe between a couple of things. Like, do they not fear the Lord? Is it possible, I believe it is, possible to confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and not have a holy reverence for God or a properly holy reverence for God, a fear of the Lord? Or, as I was uh, driven to the commentaries today, sometimes I just do that to wake up because the commentaries get my blood pressure up at a nice elevated level. And uh, a lot of the commentaries seem to think, and many of them said, well, you have to understand what we call evil is not evil always in the sight of God because these trials that we consider to be evil produce maturity and ultimately holiness. Therefore, they're good. And I get it. I get that the end result of a visit from evil can still be good. I always like to point out, God doesn't cause all things, but he can. He does cause all things to work out for the good of those who love the Lord and those who are called according to his purpose. Trust him in the middle of these visitations or these trials. or Now, not every trial is evil, you understand. But listen. Now, listen to me. My... uh, doesn't you know who I'm talking about, right? Charles Stanley. Now listen, now listen. Think about Joseph. Here was a man who feared the Lord, obviously. And are you telling me that the jealousy, the callousness of his brothers who sold him into slavery after narrowly deciding not to flat out murder him, are you telling me that that wasn't evil? That evil did not visit Joseph? It did. 
surely that uh, the, the adulterous attempts of Potiphar's wife were evil. Surely her lying accusations against Joseph were evil. They resulted in his imprisonment. There's no shortage of examples of evil visiting those who fear the Lord in the Bible. No shortage at all. And I I really do, as you know, I'm not going to read the quote that I normally do from Lewis because it has a cuss word in it. Uh, But Jesus, you know, when he healed the multitudes, the multitudes, inherent in that act, the fact that he was so consistently, he so consistently responded to sickness and disease the same way. He always healed those who came to him for healing. And that's an acknowledgement that sickness and disease are evil things. He never told somebody, this one is for your good. If you, would, if you would just embrace this sickness, you would begin thanking God for the pain because you'll see the holiness that's going to result. That's not how Jesus handled sickness. Let's read, in fact, let's read Psalm 94. We could pick any number of Psalms. We could pick any number of Old Testament passages. But since we're uh, here next door to Psalms, we'll read not, Psalm 94. Uh, and we'll read most of it. I'll begin in verse 1. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Uh, Are God's people being visited by evil in this passage? It sure looks like they are. And then the psalmist turns to address these people who are saying this. Understand, you senseless among the people and you fools. When will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense and my God the rock of my refuge. He has brought on, them, brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off or destroy them. So here's the psalmist crying out. They're surrounded by evil, all the wickedness that's being done. 
to God's people, among God's people, and the people who are crying out saying, God must not see, God must not hear what's going on, or maybe even the wickedness, the wicked uh, people who are working wickedness are saying, eh, God doesn't care, God's not paying any attention. And so there's the rebuke in there. But maybe the, the most terrifying part of this is in verse 20, where it says, shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law have fellowship with you? This is a... Uh, the government is evil. Legislating evil. Does this sound familiar? Have we had some evil legislation passed right here in Illinois and certainly right here in the United States in the last few months? We sure have. The good news is, as this psalm records, is that God will put an end to it. He'll judge it. And the wickedness will be destroyed. But that doesn't answer our question, our original question. Because the promise is, we won't be visited by evil visited it's like evil's moved in for a while how do we interpret this promise this verse it's not the only one proverbs 22 6 train up a child in the way you should go when he's old he will not depart from it and how many grown people do we know who were well trained but have departed from the faith and actually the phrasing indicates that a person who is well-trained and lives by these principles most of their lives is very unlikely in old age to turn from God. It's still a good promise. But what it's not is an ironclad guarantee against apostasy. Why? How can I say that? Because that would negate free will. There is a widely held belief among commentators and teachers, you've probably heard this, that Proverbs, uh, by and large, is not a contract. It's not a list of specific promises, but rather a record of wisdom that is true in the broad or general sense. Okay? Now, I get that, but what I don't like about it is that kind of is a lower view of Scripture than I like to take. I like to see a word in, you know, uh, my son, attend to my, my words. Incline your ear to my sayings, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that if I listen to the Word of God and read the Word of God that I will be physically healthy, that that promise in Proverbs is for physical healing. But the broader application is apply the wisdom you're learning here and you will be healthy. It will lead you toward a healthier physical life. Is there inherent power in the word of God to heal? I believe there is. There are specific healing promises we have to speak of ourselves. I'll get to the faith here in just a second. In fact, when I say it's taking a lower view of Scripture, I do get it. This, this is Solomon. But now listen, Solomon, was he well-trained? He was. Did he have a perfect father? David? No, he didn't. Was he well-trained, though? He was. He was trained in wisdom. He was trained to love the law. And Solomon, it explicitly tells us, in his old age, departed from it. So the man who wrote this departed from that promise. 
And we can go back and say, well, he wasn't well-trained because David was an adulterer and David had multiple wives and, and, and the children and all this fussing uh, meant that Solomon wasn't well-trained. And I guess we could, we could take that argument. I don't, but the bottom line is when I see a promise that looks like a promise to me, I can't, and you know this as a faith church, I can't just say, Whew, there's something I don't have to worry about anymore. What do we do with these promises? We claim them. We speak them over ourselves. We mix God's promise with our faith so that we can see it manifestly brought into our lives. There are many people who read the Bible who fear the Lord but don't actively participate in faith in God's promises. So we don't just train our children. We speak words of life over them. We confess God's word over them. We claim them for the kingdom, but they still have wills. I cannot rebuke apostasy the same way I can rebuke sickness. Do you see, you see the difference? But granting the premise, just for the moment, that what a proverb is is something that is generally true and not a specific promise for all people at all times. Even granting that, what about Proverbs 19.23? It will not be visited with evil because that broadly seems to be generally untrue. Most Christians I know, perhaps all of them, have been visited by evil. And again, depending perhaps on how broadly you define evil. Certainly the psalmists were visited with evil. We read about, we just read one. David was visited with evil. Jesus in the center of the will of God was visited with evil. Even when it turns out for the best, even when God brings something glorious out of it, evil is still evil. And God will judge evil. We don't have to worry about that. The promise for justice is a great comfort. And those who don't repent, those who persist in evil, those who are the targets of the psalmist's lament, God will cut them off. God will destroy them. Here are some alternate translations of that last part where it says he will not be visited with evil. Uh, Common English Bible says this, untouched by harm. New American Standard Bible says untouched by evil. The message says no nasty surprises. New Century Version says, unbothered by trouble. New English Translation, not afflicted by calamity. And New Living Translation, protection from harm. But all of these, protection from harm, that's, that's a pretty mild one. I can live with that one because eh, we're, we, we have protection. But all this untouched, untouched, no surprises, unbothered, not afflicted. Untrue, 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 by and large. I'm not saying, this is going back to one of my oldest truisms. There's no victory without a battle. I'm not saying, uh, you know I'm not saying we'll never have battles, and, but I'm certainly not saying that we don't have the victory. All these afflictions and all these visitations, we absolutely should rise above. Speak the victory, claim the victory, walk it out. But that's different from saying it doesn't visit in the first place. There's a lot of textual evidence about the language here 
that when it talks about visited with evil, there's talking about a visitation of judgment. And so for the person who is uh, on the receiving end of this stuff that we just read at the end of the psalm where God will destroy him, God will judge him, uh, God's visitation in that day is going to be as evil for that person. It's not going to be something, yay, the Lord is judging me because I've been unrepentant and I've been afflicting God's people. Yay, God is righteous and so therefore his judgment is a pleasure. No, it's going to strike them as evil, even though it's not. This is borne out. I bring that up because Young's literal translation, I believe, has it right. It says this, he is not charged with evil. Fear of the Lord leads to life. He who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be charged with evil. That changes the whole thing, doesn't it? Suddenly it makes sense. There's something we have to remember. Like it or not, the Bible does clearly teach that God can and does bring calamity on people. Even sickness. And if we see this in the Old Testament, you can't get around it. It's in Micah, I think. I will make you sick, saith the Lord. I ain't claiming that one. But he does not bring it for our maturity. He does not bring it to purify us or to make us holy. When God brought sickness in the Old Testament, what was it for? Judgment. Always a matter of judgment. That's what this verse is saying. And we in the new, new covenant, this is the exciting part. This is where we get to go. Whew. We in the new covenant can confidently assert that when evil visits us, it is not from God. Because our sin has already been judged. It was judged at the cross. This is just what we read in Colossians, isn't it? That put fornication and idolatry and wicked speech, all these things, put them away from you knowing that the wrath of God is falling on the sons of disobedience because of these things. You are not sons of disobedience. I'm not a son of disobedience. We're children of the light. We're children of God. The wrath of God isn't falling on us. But since the wrath of God is falling on people for those things, we can't be characterized by those things. It's not that our behavior doesn't matter. It's just that we can't save ourselves. Salvation is from the Lord, not from us. So we join our faith to God's promises and we claim the protection that is ours because we fear the Lord rather than go, oh no, what did I do to deserve this? I must have gone wrong somewhere. This is my fault. Turn to James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I actually heard, and I shared this the day I heard it, 
or the week I heard it, on a Wednesday night. It's been a couple of years, I think. But I actually heard a well-known minister trying to explain away this clear healing promise. This is a guy, you would know his name, uh, who, great teacher, great illustrator, but not a faith guy. And so he's out of his depth when he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Whenever he's teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, he's teaching about why they've passed away. Whenever he's teaching about healing, he's teaching why we can't expect to be healed. So he gets to this, which is one of the clearest promises. I mean, I still, I'll tell you this. The number one thing I hang my hat on when it comes to healing is the ministry of Jesus Christ. That is the clearest evidence of God's will to heal. But this is one of the most clearly stated doctrinal uh, statements in the Bible, in, in the New Testament, about healing being ours. Is anyone among you sick? Uh, pray for him, and God just might heal him because after all, God is God and he can. That's not what that verse says at all, is it? Pray over him, anointing him with oil, and the, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up, will raise him up. Then that next verse, and if he has committed any sins, has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This teacher was ex- trying to explain away the healing promise by saying, clearly what James is saying here is this only applies to sicknesses that are caused by sin. If somebody is sick because they sinned, then this verse applies. Are you kidding me? Let me explain this to you. What's the sin connection? Number one, it's a new sentence, all right? But number two, the the parallel scripture is this. In Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and again he entered Capernaum after some days, I'm in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered so that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And so when they had broken through the roof, when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And, but what a, what a startling thing. You know what these men wanted when they lowered him down there. They didn't peel off that roof and lower him down saying, forgive this man, forgive this man. He was paralyzed. And they knew what Jesus could do. But the first thing out of his mouth is, son, your sins are forgiven. So there's 
couple things going on here at least. For one thing, he is acknowledging, he is asserting his authority to forgive sins. I mean, hit the nail on the head. And you, you, you throw a rock at a pack of dogs and the one that yelps is the one you hit. And sure enough, the Pharisees, oh, he, who has power to forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus said, uh, yeah, it's easy for me just to say his sins are forgiven because you're not going to see any evidence that I have that kind of authority. So let me say something that's a little harder for you. Take up your bed and walk. And the guy does. So he demonstrates that he has the power, the authority to forgive sins. For another thing, he is making a point of stressing the fact that, guess what? We all need forgiveness more than we need healing. Whether we feel like it or not, that's what mankind needs from God. But for another, and this is where it ties in with the James Scripture, I believe he's addressing the fear and the guilt that might interfere with the man receiving his healing. Going back to this, I've been visited by evil. Oh no, what did I do? Because if I feared the Lord, evil wouldn't visit me. I must have done something wrong. Uh, God promised this. It's not happening in my life. It must be my fault. And I'm not saying it never is. We should always be examining ourselves in light of the word, I love the psalmist prayer, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any evil way in me because God can see it better than we can and he'll convict us. But it's a bad habit to get into that, oh no, every time something bad happens, it must be my fault because what happens? There goes our faith. We suddenly feel like we don't have a leg to stand on. So even if it is our fault, guess what? Our sin has been judged. There's nothing that stands in the way of us receiving everything God promised. Why? Because those promises are never, ever, ever based on our performance. They're based on Jesus Christ's righteousness. I can fully expect all these good things because I am in Christ and he is perfect. So when Jesus says to the the paralytic... He might have been wrestling with this for years. My sin or my parents' sin has put me in this state. And Jesus says, let's get that roadblock out of the way. Your sins are forgiven. Now take up your bed and walk. Always know that you're forgiven. That in God's eyes you're righteous. That you, you are absolutely clean in God's eyes. Now... Are there some things that he's going to work on with you? Yes, but he's not going to dangle his promises out there like a carrot. When you're good enough, you'll get these things because Jesus is already good enough. Our job is to believe. Our job is to say and confess. And so when we cry out, we're going to wrap this up here with another psalm here in just a second. So when we cry out like the psalmist, what was the first psalm we read? 94? Lord, how long? Look at the wickedness. Look at the evil. How long are you going to ignore this stuff? You see, what, this is what he's saying in his heart. And, and I'm thankful that the psalmist, and I don't think we know who it was for sure, was writing this down so that we could see that this anguish is not something new. But then he also, the same guy, turns to the people who are saying, God doesn't see, God doesn't hear, and calls them, you fools, are you kidding me? God is the one who invented hearing and seeing. Of course he sees. Of course he hears. He will do something about it. My lament is very specific. How long? And it's okay to ask these questions, 
to wonder, to comfort, but we have a mission and we have a message for the world. I think we need to set a guard over our, not that we have to be, I'm not saying let's be dishonest. I'm saying let's agree with God about what he says about himself. Let's agree with God about what he says about us before we agree with the world about what they are saying about God. It's the oldest complaint. Wise people and fools have declared that they are atheists because, well, I just can't believe there's a God because of the evil and suffering in the world. And our response can't be, there's no evil and suffering in my world. I'm happy all the time and evil never visits me. But our message is still good news, isn't it? Our message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's this, there is no longer judgment for the believer because judgment has already been poured out. But listen, even under the old covenant, let's look, let's wrap this up and praise and worship team. You might as well come on up here because I think I am pretty close to done. In uh, Psalm 96, string there. Oh, no wonder I'm in the wrong book. In Psalm 96, beginning in verse 1, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. You know what the word nations means, right? That's the Gentiles. Skip to verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. This is bold stuff. We've talked about this many times. Israel had a tendency to be a little bit isolationist or insular. They would praise the Lord in the temple. They would praise the Lord among God's people. But they didn't have a heart for the nations around them. And here the command is, praise his name among the nations. Declare the good news of salvation among the nations. God is good. And this is, this is such an extraordinary thing to read in the Old Testament. God of salvation, good God of salvation. When, when you know the hearts of Israel, the people, the man on the street was always, God's going to judge our enemies, God's going to judge our enemies. And God is wanting him them to declare the good news of salvation. And it wasn't just the good news. Guess what? We're saved. Na, 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 na. It's, there's an invitation. God's plan from the beginning was to set them as a light amidst the nations. And that's why the law from the very beginning, uh, what was built right into it was for the foreigner to come in and, and be seated at the Lord's table to become the people of God. We never see Old Testament Israel getting particularly evangelistic. But there were examples of people and whole groups of people who did join them. But this is clearly the parallel, and it's a it's hundred times better now, what we're inviting them into. The nations now is the world. Those who despise our God because they don't know our God. 
And our job can't be, yeah, I know, he doesn't seem to be doing a very good job. Uh, I hate it here too. I hate the world. I hate my life. But, you know, God gets to call the shots. No, no, no. It is our joy. The joy, our joy in the Lord, the joy of our salvation. And if that's missing, let's find out why. Put on a happy face, smile, and listen. This is where, you know, we could go on and on about this. I want, I don't, the worst mistake I could make now is to say your problems really don't matter. They do matter. They matter to me. I know they matter to you, and they matter to God. But let's never go a day without thanking God for the good stuff, for how good he has been. Nobody, nobody, nobody likes to be around somebody who does nothing but complain. Even if the complaint's legitimate. And I'm not saying you can't complain. I'm being very specific. You just can't do nothing but complain. Start with thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.